Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thevictory.tv at gmail.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter 20. Uh, For those of you that are tech savvy, you can get on our app and all the notes are there. Go to Sunday Experience. Um, You can... um, Get online. You can watch online while you're sitting here. I don't know. You can talk to Amy and them. They're back there on church online. It's a really cool feature. Um, the notes are there, and everything you need is right there at your fingertip. So um, I want to start with a question today. It's going to be kind of peculiar, and it's going to kind of be weird, and it's going to be kind of weird, and you're going to think, where did he come up with this at? But I want you to think about this question. Here's the question I want to ask is, have you ever considered how the world would be if Hitler was a morning person. I don't know if there's any history buffs here, but have you ever considered what the world would be like today if Hitler was a morning person? Hold that thought and we'll come back to it. Y'all are going to be thinking about that for the rest of the time, but hold that thought. Um, We're going to return to it, but first we want to go go in the Bible to 1 Kings chapter 20. The title of today's message is The Man in the Mirror. Um, in our story, let me kind of give you some background and tell you what the scripture is about. In our story today, we have a soldier that's standing before a king. And the soldier was dusty and war-torn and uh, clothes are dirty and he's battle-worn and, and he's got bandages and the battle was just finished. And now he's standing before the sovereign king and he's even got a bandage across his head uh, to, over his eye. He's got a bulging eye. It's clear. It's puffy. It's bloody. And, and, um, and the soldier has clearly been through the battle. And his eye is bruised and swollen And it's up to you to figure out why the eye was bruised and swollen and how it got bruised and swollen. I'm not going to tell you. But he's got filth and blood caked on him, and he looks like he's barely hanging on. And he's standing before the king, and he speaks to give an account of what he's done during the battle. And this is what the Bible says in 1 Kings 20, verse 39. Scripture says, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he's missing, your life shall be for his life. Or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Now, you have to understand, the king was understandably frustrated and probably a little confused of why this servant came to him in the first place to tell him this, this soldier, this foot soldier. I mean, it's evident from the mouths, from the man's own mouth, it's evident that he failed to do the one thing he had been asked to do. He was told, in this battle, you have one job to do. The job is to take the prisoner and guard him. Take the prisoner and watch him. The King James, the New King James Version says, guard this man. The King James Version says, keep this man. Uh, um, so guard him, keep him, watch him. The point is, is don't let the man get away. In fact, the servant was told, if the man gets away, your life is going to re- re- be required for his life. So you'll have to pay a talent 
you'll have to give your life or you'll have to pay a talent of silver. So you have to understand a talent of silver in this day is equivalent to about a half a million dollars. So it was virtually impossible for this man to pay a talent of silver. Uh, he's probably going to die. You know, A simple common soldier just wouldn't be able to afford uh, that staggering amount of money. Uh, um, and so if... so. If the man is watching, the man that he's watching gets away, the servant's going to have to die. And as the story goes on, he let him get away. And he tries to explain to the king and give an account of his actions. The soldier says, you know what, king, you know, I watched him at first. I had it all together at first. I kept, ta- I took great care of him there in the beginning, you know. I kept checking on him and I kept my eye on him. And, but eventually the man, I let him get out of my sight. He's gone. And he's bringing this story to the king like almost like, hey, what do you think should happen to me? Hey, you know. Uh, and, and he's like almost appealing it to the Supreme Court. And, 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 you know, I let him get away, king, but come on. You know, you, uh, you got to understand. You know, my intentions are really good. And at first I was watching him. I watched him for a long time. I watched, matter of fact, I watched him for this enormous amount of time. And just like that, just just for a few moments, I turned my back and he got away. It was only like five minutes, king. And he was hoping for a little mercy. And the king said, well, you said it yourself. You told me yourself. You were warned. In your own words, the king said to him, that you said that if you let him get away, your life would be required. So you already said your judgment, and so shall your judgment be. And so the guy realized really quick that he did the crime, he's going to do the time. And that's what's going to happen. He had one job, watch the man and guard the man. Then the man, the soldier, did something incredibly interesting in the story. He took the bandages off his face and he showed and revealed who he really was. He showed his true colors. The man wasn't even a soldier at all. In fact, this soldier that I'm talking about was a prophet, a man of God sent by God to confront King Ahab with this little made-up story, this parable. Now, he really was injured. He really did get a black eye, and you're going to have to discover out how he got that black eye. But the story he told is a parable. And, 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 and so he, he didn't have, you know, he didn't have, it wasn't the, the blood and all that and everything. That wasn't fake. He really did have a bloody face and all that. But you need to read about that. And I'll just tell you there's lions involved in it, too. It's a pretty cool story. But the reason the man, the man of God, told this parable So just to sum up, the the parable is basically, I was told to watch a man, and I was warned if the man got away, I would have to forfeit my life. But now that it's happened, I don't like the results, and I want someone to do something about it. The story is a parable, and it it was intended to arouse the king to the revelation that this was a ridiculous thing to do. And the king didn't pull any punches. The king said, your judgment is going to stand because you had your chance. You were warned clearly and you failed to do one job that you were called to do. 
And the purpose of this parable today, if you haven't figured it out, there was not even a prisoner. There was no, there was no prisoner. There was no soldier. There was no man that got away. The prophet told this parable to King Ahab so that King Ahab could look in the mirror. So that King Ahab might realize that he was the man. Now I'll give you a little backstory. King Ahab, there was some, he was in war with uh, with uh, with, uh, with another king, King Ben Hadad, Ben Ben Hadad, Ben Hadad, Ben Hadad. They were at war, and, and and God instructed King Ahab to to kill all the soldiers and kill that entire army off. But somebody got away, and it was King Ben Hadad. Benadad. He let him get away. Matter of fact, Benadad had come back later on and they made a peace treaty. And so the prophet told this parable to king so that the king could look in the mirror and realize the king was the man. I am the man who was supposed to watch the man. I am the man. It was my job that was given to me. I, I, I was The man was, was told you have this one thing to do. And if you don't do it, you forfeit your life. And, and you will forfeit your life because of your disobedience, because you didn't obey this one thing you were told to do. Now, the particulars of why King Ahab needed this message from the prophet and, and, and all the context and the significant with Ben-Hadad... <laughs> And king of Syria and all that is is kind of immaterial. Um, the exact leadership, this this parable that's meant for King Ahab, isn't the most important issue today. Because Ahab, a couple of chapters over, he's dead now, and the dogs licked up his blood, and, and that's also in the Bible. The bigger issue for the the question today, the bigger issue for us is the is this question: How does this apply to us, Pastor? How does this apply to me? Because I believe the story, as it was told, is meant to hit us hard today. For us to see that we too, every one of us sitting there, we've been given an assignment. So what I want us to do is I want to put us, I want to do exactly what this man of God did and I want us to put ourselves in the story today because it's real easy when we're reading the Bible to say oh that's cool for Peter and oh Esther that was a great story you know and King David oh he did some miraculous things and those are inspiring stories but I think like King Ahab this this parable was meant to show him and it's meant to show us no 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 no. you are the man you are the man you are the woman it's about you. This story is about you. It's about me. The parable is meant to show us the very same things that they were trying to show King Ahab. What are you going to do with what you've been given? I want us to see ourselves in the story uh, about a man who's been given charge to watch over someone. And the king, at some point, listen, at, at some point, we're going to stand before the king, and the king's going to stand before us, and, and we're going to have to explain to him what we did with the job that we were given. Now, maybe you're thinking, that's great, Pastor. We're going to stand before the God. We're going to stand before the King, and, and, and He's God, and, and, and I get it, and we stand before the King, and we're going to answer. And, but, Pastor, who are we supposed to watch? Who are, 
who's the man that we're supposed to watch? And the answer is, you are meant to watch the most difficult person in the world. You're supposed to babysit this person. It's the most difficult person in the world. And I'm not talking about your husband right now, and I'm not talking about your wife right now. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about you. You are meant to watch you. The person on this planet that is the most suited to deceit you is you. The person on this planet that's the most capable of harming you is you. You and I, in fact, are like no one else. We are our own worst enemies. How many of you know that? The Bible from beginning to end warns us of how important it is to watch ourselves. That we keep ourselves. And we are the soldier who is meant to guard the other soldier. And the other soldier is ourselves. It's us. And it's clearly evident from the fact that if we don't do the job that we were meant to do and keep ourselves, we're going to have to forfeit our lives. It's clear. Why? Because our life will be snatched away from us if we're not paying attention. And that's precisely what happens. That's precisely when it happens, when we don't even know, when we're not paying attention. And that's why the soldier says, notice what he said in verse 40. He says, when the, the king asked him, asked the soldier in verse 40, he says, when did this guy get away? When did the guy get away? Guard this man, he was told. Keep this man. Keep this person. Guard this person. Don't let him get away. And, 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 and finally the guy said, well, he got away. And the king must have been like, well, when did he get away? How did he get away? What happened? I mean, did, he, did somebody bake him a cake with a file in it? Because he, he's a prisoner. He, <laughs> the, the king had no idea. Was it a prison break? Did he crawl through the ducts of the prison? Did he dig himself way out? You know? And this is, verse 40 is the most embarrassing moment in the scripture. It's the most embarrassing point in the parable. When did he get away? He says, well, I was busy here and there. And then he was gone. And I need you to notice, I need you to notice that the man wasn't being bad. He wasn't off somewhere where he wasn't supposed to. He wasn't doing anything bad. He was busy. He wasn't bad, he was busy. Is it possible that while you're going here and there and doing this and that, doing one thing and doing another, that life is passing you by? Life is passing by and slipping right through your fingers like water goes through your fingers. Uh, The version of yourself, the version of you that you were meant to be, the version of yourself that you were meant to become, the version of yourself that Jesus knows that you're capable of becoming, who you're meant to be is slipping away like water going going through a sieve. The person that you meant to be, the the person that you were meant to grow up in Jesus Christ and grow up spiritually, and the leader that you were meant to be uh, is slipping away. Because we have to guard ourselves. You were meant to guard yourself. You're supposed to watch yourself. You're supposed to supervise yourself. You're supposed to lead yourself so that you won't escape. 
So you're supposed to watch yourself so that yourself won't slip through the fingers. So that you won't end up stuck and immature and, and, and stuck for years and stagnant and, and end up stuck in selfishness and end up stuck in a, in a small mentality and end up stuck living in self-pity and end up stuck and smothered in anger and, and, and just this numbing spirit and coddling yourself spiritually when you're meant to rise up in strength and power. This is your wake-up call. This is my wake-up call. You are called by God to guard yourself. To keep this man, to keep this woman that you're looking at in the mirror. To look at yourself and watch yourself lest you get away. Jesus himself said, it's easy to chase after the things of the world and lose your soul. Now, how do you lose your soul? Man, that's intense. <laughs> you know, how do you just lose it? You know, do you misplace your soul? You know, I, I don't want to lose my soul. How do you even do that? Uh, the words that he uses in that sentence uh, don't speak about losing your soul entirely. What, it, what it's talking about in Matthew 16, 26, the message translation says, what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What kind of deal is it to get everything you want and lose yourself? What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, but you lose your true self? You lose your identity. You lose hold of yourself. You let yourself get away spiritually. I think that's what Jesus is warning us about in Matthew 16, and it's the same thing that he's telling us in 1 Kings chapter 20. That you cannot get distracted. You cannot get distracted. You can't get busy here and there and, and chasing after this and being defined by that and being defined by who others, others think you are and say you are. All of a sudden, we got things that we thought we wanted, but we end up losing the version of ourselves that we were meant to become because we were chasing after frivolous things. Over and over, the Bible warns us how easy it is to trick ourselves, how easy it is to deceive ourselves, how easy it is to let ourselves get away. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's easy to let yourself get away. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. There's no other area quite like the heart that's able to control the outcome of your lives. I mean, our heart steers us in a lot of directions. I mean, our heart uh, steers our love lives. <laughs> we, we, we talk ourselves into dating people that we shouldn't date, to, to be with someone that we shouldn't be with. And it's easy to let the heart, especially with young people, listen to me, listen up here. It's easy to let the issues of the heart steer you away from where God wants you to be. Uh, in the book of Jude, uh, Jude verse 21, it says, Guard and keep yourselves in the love of God. Expect and patiently wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah warns us. He says, The heart is deceitful and des desperately wicked. Who can know it? So yes, our hearts will steer us. Everybody says, follow your heart. Just do whatever you think. Do follow your heart. And that's true, but your heart is 
wicked. You have to guard your heart so it won't steer you in the wrong directions. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our spirits. We have to guard our devotions. We have to choose to do the hard things. We have to watch after ourselves. We have to keep checking in on ourselves. We have to keep asking the hard questions about ourselves because time is passing. We have to check in and say, how am I doing? <laughs> how am I doing today? How, am I getting better? Am I staying the same or getting better? Where am I stuck? Am I stuck in these ruts? What's going on? Am I fighting? Am I advancing? Am I become a better husband? Am I becoming a better father, mother? Am I becoming a better wife? Am I becoming more patient? Am I, becoming, am I growing spiritually? we got to check in on ourselves and ask those questions because your heart's tricky. Your heart will talk you into doing things you shouldn't do. I mean, we have the lust of the flesh, we have the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those things will deceive you and steer you in the wrong directions. So we have to guard ourselves, we have to keep ourselves. And and, and see, you can't just keep cruising through life doing what you feel like. Oh, it just makes me feel good, let's do it. You can't just cruise through life and just keep doing what's easy. And take the easy paths. The Bible says broad is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few find that road. Why? Because it's so easy to let yourself get carried away. It's so easy to let your heart pull you away from things that pull you to things you shouldn't be doing. And fall for the lies of the devil. Uh, you, so you have to be actively involved. Uh, you have to be vigilantly involved. The prophet said, guard this man. Now that's active. That's active. This is not shift work. You know, you, you guard him for a little while and then somebody else guards him and then somebody else guards him. You guard, you know, I guarded him most of the time. You know, it was somebody else's job to guard that man. Or sometimes we just want to guard him, guard that man on Sundays. You got to keep watch twenty four seven. You got to watch this person. You got to you got to keep watch over yourself because yourself is tricky. Mark said this, uh, um, and, and Jesus said this in Mark fourteen. He said, "Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak." So if, if you know you're weak, if you know you're weak in certain areas and, and certain things, uh, listen, make it easy on yourself to do the right things by using guardrails. Use guardrails. I mean, we, I, me and my, we set up, I set up guardrails all the time. Make it easier on yourself. By, guardrails are accountability. That's accountability. Accountability. People in your life that will hold you accountable. Those are guardrails. <clears throat> you got to have systems so that you can do the right things. You got to, li- let's put it this way you need trestles in your life so that the vines will grow upward. Those are guardrails, it's accountability. Uh, you know, <laughs> what you can intention, you know, 
what you can intentionally do for guardrails is you can do things like small groups, uh, uh, you know, get around groups of Christians, people, I don't know, people that will pray for you, people that will, you know, just, just be around Christians who are praying for you weekly and hold you accountable. Those are guardrails. You need those guardrails so you can come and go into the world because we're all meant to be in the world. We're going to go into the world. I mean, the junk of the world's going to get on us. We're not meant to create a Christian subculture and live exclusively in it. We've got to go into the world. We go to our job places. We go to the markets. It's important that we live among people of the world so that we might show the light, so that we might be the salt and and testify about Jesus' goodness. That's important. So you're always going to have people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ. But if you're not eating and breaking bread and doing life with Christians, it's going to be easy to give in to those people that are not Christians. So we build systems around ourselves because we know our flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. So what do we do? We watch and pray, otherwise we enter into the temptation. This, that man, that woman that you're, meant to, that, that, that you're meant to grow up into, they'll slip through your fingers. And one day you'll be, you'll be like, where did my life go? 1 John chapter 5.21 says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, let's talk about idols because it's easy to give in to things of value. That's what an idol is. That's worship. Worshiping idols is valuing something above God. It could be anything. It can be career, it can be your spouse, it can be your children. You, you could, listen, listen, when the Bible says honor God at the highest, that, he means it because he knows you'll set up idols before God. Honor God, give him your worship, give him, give him the glory, let God be the most important thing in your life. Because there's so many things that compete and the human heart, it's been said, listen, it's been said, and I agree with this, the human heart is an idol factory. <laughs> it's an idol factory. And the human heart can, can value anything above God. And if we don't have something, the heart will churn out something new every day. <laughs> so you have to keep yourself, watch yourself, meaning it's easy and automatic for your heart to gravitate toward things that are more valuable, and you'll make those things more valuable than God. That's why the Bible says we have to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? What does that look like? That, so let me give you some examples. Every time I get paid, the first thing I do, I pay my tithes. This is not a tithing message, but what I do is I pay my tithes because when I do that, it's, it's keeping myself from idols because I know how easy it is to gravitate toward, toward, toward things materialistic things and having things and spending money. I know how easy it is to want to have things and we put those things above God. I have to, I have to keep myself away from things that would diminish my love for my bride. I have to protect, you know, I have to do things because I know how important it is to God to have that loving and intimate relationship not only with God but with my spouse. 
And so I, it's not easy to do. I have to, you know, I have to actively be aware that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes is right there, ready to bombard you. So you got to keep yourself strong. You got to, you got to guard yourself. You got to guard what you see. You got to guard what you hear. You got to guard what you look at. You got to, uh, uh, you know, those movies, those shows. I got to guard myself against that. I have to keep myself reinvigorated. By spending time with Jesus. I have to work at that. It doesn't, being reinvigorated doesn't come natural. It's, it's something that you got to work at because it's so easy to give in to the weakness of the flesh and, and just, just sleep in and just, just, just go to bed and not get up and not get up and pray and just sleep your life away. You know, I'm so prone to do that. And, and listen, as a pastor, I get bombarded with so many competing ideas and thoughts and opinions. So I have to choose to guard my thoughts and what I think and what, what people may think about me and what, what I may think about people. I've got to guard that. I've got to watch myself. I've got to keep guard. And so I wanted to preach this message today because it's a wake-up call for me and it's a wake-up call for everybody in this place, everybody watching online. It, this is your wake-up call. Your life is passing by. How many of you know that life is, it is exponentially speeding up? Does it seem like that to you? It's just like passing by, man. You just look up and say, where is the time gone? <laughs> you got to keep that man. You got to keep that woman. You got to keep an eye on that person in the mirror. And you got to fight to guard that version of yourself that you were meant to be, that person in the mirror. Otherwise, the Bible says, here and there, life will pass you by. And you'll wake up one day with regret. And you'll say, man, I wish I'd have done that. Because, man, listen, I wish I could go back to when I was 16 and change everything that I did and start serving and loving God when I was 16 years old. I wish I could go back and get all those years. Because I know God meant for me to be somebody that I was. And I, I wasted like 20 years in there. There's a 20-year guy. I wish I could just go change that. Because I wasn't guarding, I wasn't watching. I was carelessly and haphazardly just living life. Not a care in the world. You'll wake up one day and you'll, be, you'll have heartbreak. And ultimately you'll stand before God the King to give an account what you did with this life. To give an, you were supposed to watch this man. And you got to give an account. And with a regret, you'll, you'll go, well, I didn't even know. I, 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 you know, there was a point when I heard your voice, God. There was, there was a point when I sensed your spirit, you know, and I, I remember reading the Word of God, and I knew there was something to it. I knew I needed to get around to reading it more and praying more. and get, I knew I needed to do that, but... And you'll keep saying, you'll keep saying to yourself, yeah, you, you know, all the, making all these excuses and, and just dragging you down, and 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 you're doing all these things that's unhealthy and toxic, and it's just bringing you down. And you know you shouldn't be doing it. You know it's not right. And you, we listen. I've done it. I went through my life. You go through your life and you rationalize and you justify why you're doing these things and why it's and and, and listen, why your servant was busy, not bad, busy. Here and there, the Bible says, snap, life ended. And now, King, here I am, I stand before you. 
and I let that version of myself that I was supposed to be get away. So there's some things, some important, two, two, three important things that you need to guard against to keep that man, to watch that man, to watch that woman. And I'm going to give them to you real quickly. The first thing is you have to guard against is you have to guard against giving in. Everybody say giving in. Um, it's so easy to give in to life's distractions, is it not? So easy to give in to the distractions. We carry around this with us all the time. Everybody, everybody, hold your cell phone up. No, you don't have to. I'm just kidding. We carry these around with us all the time. I'm guilty of it too. And, and this thing right here, this device, can simultaneously feed and nourish your spirit. Like there's many people watching online right now. Some of them are glued to their phones. Some of them are on their computers. They're, they're on a laptop or whatever and, and TV. And that's good. It's streaming in. I, we welcome you. We're glad everybody's here. It's good word. It's, it's milk. It's food. It's wonderful. But at the same time, this do- device can be conflicted. Because here, I'm just going to be honest with you, so many people click on Facebook and, and they watch a sermon for a few seconds and they click like a few times and, and maybe throw up a heart emoji. And, 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 so, and then it's so easy just to, just to push the sermon to the background and go, go, go through it and keep scrolling. And keep looking at other people's lives. It's so easy to get on YouTube and, and just turn it on and get, turn the volume up a little bit. And then just kind of put it in the background. And, and so you, you just start multitasking and you start doing some other things. And, and technically you're listening but you're doing other things. And, and listen, I know people, that, they watch, they, they watch their, get online and they watch the sermons, you know. And, and it's on and it's playing and the volume's there but they're playing games. And, and you say, Pastor, I can multitask. I can do two or three things at the same time, and and maybe you can, but does it honor God? Is it honoring to God? We live in a day when it's possible to make mistakes digitally, to get distracted, to be online too often, and, and be glued to these things we call cell phones. And it messes with the wiring in your brains and we wonder why our souls are perpetually dissatisfied I know if you don't believe me how addictive social media is Facebook in particular deactivate your account I did it deactivate it don't just delete the app deactivate it and see if you can go 21 days without it it's hard. I had to reactivate it because people in, I have friends in New Mexico that are probably watching, maybe watch the service, and they got, they got the question, you say, why aren't you sharing those things? And why aren't, well, that's how we watch the service. And, and so I'm back on there just so I can share those things. But it's, it's, it's toxic. I'm not pushing my convictions on you. I'm just saying, <laughs> social media is addictive. These are addictive. And it messes with the wiring in our brains. And we're Never able to be present where we are. It's like inviting friends over to your house. Hey, everybody come on over so we can stare at our phones. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're never able to be present. Listen to me. We're never able to be present where we are because we're always looking at where we wish we were. And we're always looking at who we wish we were. 
We're looking at, at what we wish we were doing, and, and we're looking at the life that we wish we had. It's so easy to give in to distractions. Number two, you have to guard yourself against lies. Everybody say lies. Lies such as, for example, I'll always be this way. Lies like, I've tried to change before, Pastor, and I didn't work, so why would it work this time? <laughs> Those are just lies I've heard a lot. We give in to lies, and, 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 and you know, we like things like, it's okay that I'm this way. I know other people that are worse than me. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> There's always going to be some people in your life that are more jacked up and broken than you are. It's a fact. But we kind of sometimes like to keep those people that are deranged around us in our lives so that we can feel good about ourselves. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. (laughs) But it's kind of serious because anytime we want to take steps to better ourselves, there will be people in our lives that want to push back and hold you back. And they'll look at you and go, oh, you've changed, huh? Yeah, I'm trying to change. I want to be better. <laughs> I'm 40 years old. I don't want, I'm tired of acting like I'm 20. <laughs> I'm 50 and I'm tired of acting like I'm 34. You know, <laughs> I want to change. And you'll get pushback. And, 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 but if you, if you start changing and someone in your life pushes back and holds you and tries to hold you back, guess what? You were their last holdout. Because now that you're changing, they're angry because now they're going to have to change. <laughs> that's why they're angry and that's why they're pushing back. So they don't, they don't want to change because you, make, you might make them feel good about themselves. And so we need to watch ourselves. And don't give in to other people's plans for your life. We're called to guard this man, not them. We're called to guard this woman, not them. Your sister's not going to stand before God and give an account of what you did for your life for you. Or your mom or your aunt or uncle or whatever. You're the one that's going to stand before God in the courtrooms of heaven and and you're going to go before the king and you're going to give an account for for what you did with your life. Everyone else is going to have their own day in court. Look in the mirror. What do you see? We gotta guard that person. That person that you see in the mirror, we gotta guard them. We can't change anybody else, but we can and we gotta change, we must change ourselves. Jesus modeled modeled for us, modeled this for us in John chapter 6. And this is kind of a, a cool story because um, in chapter John chapter 6, he, he after feeding the 5,000 and getting all of them 5,000 people super pumped up because they just had uh, biscuits and fish and chips and, you know, and, and he fed everybody and everybody's pumped up. Jesus came, became very popular after the biscuits and the fish. He was a very popular man. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. Everybody wanted his autograph. Everybody wanted a selfie. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus because this guy's got biscuits and fish. And, and this is what J- Jesus says in John six fifteen. He says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what does that tell you right there? What does that tell you right there? It tells you that if you're going to take steps to better yourself, 
meaning you don't give in to people's plans for your life and people's opinions. You don't give in to that. This, this tells me that there's going to be some lonely moments in your life. There's going to be some lonely down moments. Sometimes you're going to feel lonely, but, but it's in that loneliness it wasn't a liability for Jesus. It was actually an asset because it was in that loneliness where Jesus was refueled. That's where he was reinvigorated. It was in that loneliness where Jesus was strengthened because he wouldn't let people take him by force and make him a cheap king. Jesus retreated and went into the loneliness and he went into the presence of God and it was there that his father reminded him, hey, you're already a king, my son. You're already a king. If you give in to other people's plans for your life, they'll, they'll try to get you to leave what you have and what's already yours. Other people will try to get you to become and chase after cheap imitations and substitutes and some other version of something that already belongs to you that can never be taken away. Jesus didn't need to go with these people who were trying to make him some cheap imitation king based on popularity in fish and chips. He was already the king. And he, so he didn't give in to popular opinion. He didn't give in to public uh, uh, pressure. He was a king, not meant to wear a crown of gold, but one who was sent to wear a crown of thorns. He was a king who would not sit on, on, on you know, at least not at his first coming on a golden throne, but he was a king who would be stretched out as the suffering servant and die on a wooden cross for our sins. And by remembering who God said he was, he was able to combat the temptation to give in to people what people wanted him to be. Don't give in to people's opinions. Don't give in to what people want you to be. Retreat. Get into the presence of God and let God remind you of who you are. Because you're sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. How many of you know that? Can somebody say Amen. I'm almost done. I want to let you know something. You, you cannot take back your life if you live for the approval and the pleasures of other people. Living to please people will keep you from pleasing God, so don't give in. Guard yourself against the lies. Don't let anyone let you turn away from the king. You're already a son and daughter of the king. Uh, number three, so guard yourself. Don't give in. Guard yourself against lies. And then number three, Guard yourself against giving up. Everybody say, don't give up. Okay? Giving up is a real temptation. Giving up, uh, let me give you some examples. Giving up control of yourself to a substance. Giving up control of yourself to a substance. Uh, <coughs> why do they say under the influence? Because while you give yourself away to a drug or substance or whatever it is, uh, while you're high, while you're drunk, whatever it is, you're not in control of yourself. You don't have your wits about you. I've been there. I, I've, I've been there. That's why Ephesians says, "Don't be drunk on, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." They're different, but they're alike. When you're under the, the influence of alcohol while you're drunk, but, but under the influence of the Spirit, that is when you yield yourself to God. For some of us, we've made the mistake of giving up control that we need to take back in our lives. 
from things that we willingly submitted to in our lives. And we got to guard that person. We got to guard ourselves. Don't be under the influence. Don't be controlled by substances. Don't be controlled by emotions. Don't give up your control to emotions. Don't be controlled by emotions. Uh, you know, just do what you feel like, you know. Um, um, don't let anger, don't give up control and being controlled by anger. Or be controlled by habits and patterns and patterns of thinking and negative patterns and toxic thinking. We got to fight against that. We got to guard that man. We need to guard ourselves with the diligence from making the mistake of giving up. But not giving up control, also there is the temptation to just give up because it's hard. There's the temptation of giving up because it's hard. Does life seem hard to anybody right now? Does, does, I mean, does it just seem hard? Busy, hard, just, I mean, I, you know, we, we, there's so many new circumstances that we're having to do. and so many, It's just hard. Is it, not, is it just me? Can somebody just like, wave at me or wink at me or something? Life's hard. And it may be just the, this season, I don't know. But listen, I, I just tell you what, all seasons have difficulties in them. All seasons have challenges. And I know it's easy to rationalize because I do it too. We rationalize and say, oh, if we can just get through this. I don't know how many things I've seen and people say, if we can just get through 2020. <laughs> Remember back in 2020 when everything was perfect? <laughs> you Remember back in 2020 when all, how many of you remember back in 2020 there was times when we complained then too? Things were hard back then, too. There were some difficult times. There's always going to be, every season has its challenges. And the reality, life is hard, and the reality is following Jesus is difficult, too. You have to work at it. You have to get up every day, and you have to make a decision that you're going to do this. You have to guard that person in the mirror. You have to watch over them. You have to keep your eye on them. You have to be diligent. You have to be laser-focused in on them. You have to guard them with everything that you have. And it's work. But here's the good news. Our God is a good God, and He is so good. He is so good, watch this, I'm going to give you a little truth, that he's able to squeeze honey out of a rock. Did y'all know that? That's in the Bible. Did y'all know that? It's in Psalms 81.16. This is what the Bible says. It says, you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Now, I would love that because if, I really love this verse because if you think about it, squeezing honey out of a rock is virtually impossible. How many, how many of you ever tried that? It's, it's impossible. That's exactly why it's so powerful. Watch the, watch the power in this scripture. The truth out of the scripture is God gives us unlikely food from impossible places. Y'all can throw that out there on graphics or social media or something. But listen, I, maybe you've Life has dealt you, put you in a place where you're between a rock and a hard place. Things are rough. Things are hard. COVID-19, maybe you've been hit with it. These um, new circumstances and all the shutdowns. And maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're going through a messy divorce. Whatever challenging circumstances. 
That's the rock. And if you hand it to God, he's going to squeeze it. And he's going to make honey out of it and feed you with that. Whatever circumstances you're going through, that's the rock. So what about Hitler? What about Hitler? Probably still wondering about that. If you want to, if music want to come, I'm going to tell this story and then we'll be done. I don't know how many history buffs we got in here. Let me tell you the story, kind of paraphrase and give my version of it. But June 6, 1944, this was D-Day, um, the most decisive event in World War II. Uh, it was the invasion that turned the tide of the war. D-Day is incredible for many reasons. I may not even tell the details right, but I'm going to do my best. But it was the largest amphibious assault in history. None other, none other like it. Largest deceit, most incredible deceit since the Trojan horse, they said. 160,000 troops coming into France to take, to, coming into France to take it out from under Nazi-controlled forces. It was, this was absolutely astounding. You should read your history books. You should have paid attention in history. You don't know what I'm talking about. I don't even know if they're teaching this no more. <laughs> and the fact that they managed to completely deceive the entire Axis army about where the landing was to take place, even though the Germans knew it was coming, they knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. They just didn't know where. See, you don't get to mobilize that many people without knowing that something's coming down. You don't mobilize that many troops without knowing something's going to come down. So Eisenhower, the supreme commander, he knew that the Nazis knew that they were going to be coming. They just didn't know where. And so there was a whole, listen, Hitler had the whole Atlantic wall that he thought was impenetrable. It was from the Arctic all the way down to basically Spain. And the Allied forces basically tried to trick Hitler into thinking that they were going to land in South France. They wanted him to think that they were going to land in South France because this was the closest, this was on land. Uh, it made sense because it was in the nation of England and it was just across the channel and that was, it was shallow right there and, and, and it just made sense. And so they did some incredible things to make Hitler and trick Hitler to make him think that this army, this was the place where the invasion was going to take place in South France. The morning of DJ, uh, D-Day, <coughs> they dropped paratroopers. There was hundreds, I don't know, thousands maybe even paratroopers who, who were dropping into South France and they were actually mannequins. They were mannequins. They were fake bodies. And they dropped them all over France. And the, listen, the mannequins were actually even, they were rigged with bombs so that right before touchdown or at touchdown, those bombs would explode to make them think that there was conflict going on. They even wired some of those mannequins with sound devices so that would, there would, the sound would, you know, you could hear and you could hear explosions and you could hear all these things. And, and then not only did they drop mannequins and do all these, this deceitful stuff, they also dropped rubber tanks of all things rubber tanks <laughs> go figure blow up tanks life size tanks rubber tanks and they dropped them down and these rubber tanks and these mannequins and the, it looks like they're 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 amassing this massive force because listen they flew over Germans are flying over there's aerial reconnaissance photos and it looked like they were there were so many tanks and 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 uh, Hitler had his tanks and the SS Panzers you know and that whole uh, whole line of defense and and it was actually dumber rubber dummy rubber tanks and mannequins coming down out of the air 
And all this is happening in South France. Pay attention because this is going to get good. And meanwhile, the real invasion is happening at the five beaches of Normandy in central France. 5,000 ships were going to come quickly across this man-made ports and created harbors and, and they were going to storm the beaches there and, and they had hoped that all the gun stations had been taken out but unfortunately the ones at Omaha had not been taken out and that was a bloody battle and, and a lot of it was just nasty but, but um, the reason this whole thing worked the reason this whole thing worked one of the big reasons that this massive, there was this massive turn in the battle, and one of the biggest reasons is all this happened. Y'all ready for this? Because Hitler was not a morning person. He was not a morning person. Go read your history books, go look it up. He was not a morning person. Hitler liked to sleep in, sometimes as late as noon. And on this particular day, it was reported that he slept in until 11, 30, 12 o'clock. On D-Day, when this invasion is actually happening, remember, Hitler knew it was going to happen. And he was so overconfident in his line of defenses that he had built in, in South France, he was so overconfident and, and he, that he just slept in. He slept in. And the men, the commanding troops and all of them, they were so afraid to wake him up. Because they were under strict orders. Don't wake me up. Don't wake me up. And the downfall of this is because nobody, once they figured out that it was raining mannequins and fake tanks in South France, and this invasion's actually happened in Central France, they finally figured out what was actually happening. It was all going down in Normandy, and they didn't have permission. Nobody had permission. Only Hitler could give permission to move the SS Panzer Division, Tank Division, because he was under explicit orders. Hitler had to give personal approval to allow the rerouting of all those tanks. And by the time he woke up and got the dirt out of his eyes, it was too late. It was too late. All the reinforcements that they could have had, it was too late. This could have actually changed the outcome of the D-Day invasion in favor of the Nazis if Hitler would have got up early. But because Hitler had to give permission himself and because he was asleep, the battle took place. It was too late. America, the Allied troops, the Allied forces, they came to foothold in the beaches of Normandy and it eventually led them to taking France back. It's the, the event that turned the tide of World War II. Now my point of this is not to say that if you're a night owl, you should always wake up and be an early bird. What I'm saying, my point is, is you can't win a war while you're sleeping. You can't win this spiritual battle while you're sleeping. You can't win it while you're sleeping. Romans 13 puts it this way, and I'll close with this, and this will be it. Romans 13 says, To live like this is all the more urgent, for time is running out. And you know it is a tragic hour in human history. 
It is time for us to wake up, for our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Night's darkness is dissolving away as the new day of destiny dawns. So we must once and for all strip away what's done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes. And once and for all, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. We must live honorably, surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery and promiscuity and sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others. Instead, fully immerse yourselves in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't waste another moment, another thought on your former identity and, and, and awaken yourselves to what God has planned. No more giving in to that stuff. Church, this is your wake-up call. Everybody stand up with me. I want to pray with you.